Hello, everybody. Before we start this podcast today, I just want to let you know that I'm not sponsored in any way by any company. There is no ads here. But if you do want to see the products that I promote and the books that I have written, you can see all of that and all of the links to all of my social media accounts and Instagram, YouTube, and so on. All of that is on my website, noticebooks.org. N-O-T-U-S books.org, not us books.org. Hey guys, just me here today. I've wanted to make a podcast on climate change for a while, but I wanted to have all the numbers in front of me and stuff. And it's been a while since I've read those books and I wanted to update myself, but people ask a lot. So I'm just going to do one here casually, just off the top of my head. And I'm, I'm out of date with the numbers, you know, so whatever the new numbers are, I'm not sure, but we might as well start it off there. A lot of people don't realize that a data point in climate, when you're talking about climate, one data point is 30 years long comprises 30 years of data and it's averages of various things whatever we're looking at within those 30 years so we don't actually have that much data points and even though i'm out of date by almost 10 years you know not much has changed because we have not yet completed a new data point so last i knew we hadn't recorded a warming since 1998 and i mean a, a reliable warming there's lots of things said and by the way, I worked in climate change. We pretty much all called it global warming back then, but it became climate change sort of because this 1998 problem that we were actually measuring a cooling. And of course, the other side, the people who are saying that humans are basically causing this, they're saying, well, of course, it hasn't been long enough. And they're using the exact same length of a data point argument to say that, well, we can't look at cooling right now. Okay, well, the textbooks that I was given originally when I first walked into the geoengineering department, sorry, geophysics department, we're working in geoengineering. So we have to know a little bit about all of the different things, chemistry and geology and, you know, the history of what they're saying. Obviously, of course, we're, we're talking about global warming a lot. So everything that has to do with that, we need to know just a little bit about that so that we can apply that to our own projects. And we have to know about even like core samples and all this kind of stuff. I worked in a radar lab basically, but the guys who worked that equipment, they weren't there, but they were geologists. They were out prospecting for oil with radar tubes, basically. So we're in the radar tube storage unit. It's what we call our office. And those guys told me a lot of interesting things. They pointed me out to the books originally. The first ones that I looked at, Heaven and Earth by Ian, Ian Plimmer. It's a huge book. It's got a lot of this stuff in it, a lot of these points in it. And when Ian Plimmer was talking about things like the how people actually go out and collect the data points every day, you know, same as like a water station every day, it's done by humans. And this is added up across the world. So there's an average taken, I think the number was 30,000 stations, reliable stations, and I think it was 60% of them were run by amateurs. So the problem with this is that in the the mainstream argument being proposed with the the hockey stick graph predicting the six degree warming in a lot of their data they were assuming a half percent i believe to my memory they were assuming a half percent tolerance and this means that they're assuming that the human error is going to be plus or minus half of a degree to, to me that sounds crazy because i know that if i used anything less than one degree my professor is going to be like, what are you doing? You can't do that. It should be two degrees, even realistically, because we're taking 
different measurements with different tools and and by the way we're using serious like electronic equipment called the sond a lot of the people out there that are measuring temperature are doing it by eye by a thermometer a mercury thermometer and they are reliable but they're not reliable to within a half a degree across 30,000 participants and just like a water station i know that they miss days i can look at their raw data I can see when they missed a day and when they went back the next day, say there might have rained one millimeter one day and then one millimeter the next day, but they missed one of those days. So they go back and there's two millimeters there. I can see that the one data point is missing and it has the symbol in it to tell me that the next data point is an assumption because they missed one day. This is what the temperature data looks like also. It's a mess when you think about it. And when I'm talking about temperature, I know that there can be a massive difference in temperature depending on where the thermometer is actually stationed. Is it out in the sun? Is it in the shade? Is it on a building? What time of the day is the shadow part of that building in the thermometer? You see what I'm saying? These can these can add up dramatically and they add up to more than 0.5 of a percent. So to make any, any argument on future predictions based on uh, such a a dishonest tolerance that's that's wrong to begin with you know and they're not even predicting 20 degrees of warming they're predicting six and they're saying that's catastrophic now that's notwithstanding all the buffering systems that we don't ver know very much about one of them that one of them that connects directly to what i worked in marine science and was happening in the labs that i was working in where people were studying a so ocean acidification now studying is a loose word there because they're, they're making assumptions here, certain assumptions. One of the assumptions is that the buffering of the ocean to acidity, in this case, it's limestone. It's the fact that there's the whole ocean is basically lime, lined with limestone. That's alkalizing. This is calcium. This is the buffer. It's the major buffer. And it is exactly what is left out of the experiments. I saw a lot of this by design happening. I questioned it. And... The books question it too. This other scientists question it too, saying, how can you make predictions about ocean acidification when the experiments don't contain the buffering that the natural ocean has? These experiments are not being done in the ocean. They're being done in aquariums. And they're essentially, a lot of them are actually just adding hydrochloric acid to aquariums and then measuring a negative effect on the biology. And this is obvious to anybody who knows anything about biology or water chemistry, sea ocean chemistry. This is just not how it works. So these are only some of the problems and I know I've kind of just ripped through them, but these are the main problems in my opinion. The unreliability of human data, it's not that data is worthless, but especially in geoengineering, I mean, we, we had to be confident at some point that the data was enough and we had to take action, but we always understood that there's never enough data. And when we're talking about major predictions, we really need more data and we need better data and we don't need, you know, basically religious fervor behind the message that's being pushed. And we have to look at the end result of what's being asked for. And marine science is a big problem in pretty much every field that you're working in, whether you're looking at biology or reefs or conservation, or it's, it's very tough because the problems that we're facing are out of our hands. In Hawaii, they spent well over a billion dollars, many billions of dollars trying to save the reefs there. And by all indications, they seem to have made the problem worse. All human intervention seems to have made the problem worse. Uh, and our, pro our projects around the world, you know, a lot of them, 
we ruled out right away because we knew we couldn't do anything, even if you gave us a billion dollars. And when we did finally okay a project, we finally determined that we couldn't save that fishery because it's out of our hands, because the forces at work, they're not climate change forces. These are pollution and overfishing and us messing up reefs and then economic problems and fishermen get poor and they dynamite reefs and then they don't regenerate for a long time and uh, farming runoff and major, major things that are just out of the hand of scientists. So it's kind of a, a depressing range of fields because you're studying things you can't do much to save. But this has nothing to do with climate change. It never did. None of the problems have anything to do with climate change. The people that are trying to prove that ocean acidification is harming the wildlife, they're clearly not engineers because they're not asking for a practical solution. What they're asking for is a tax. Whether they know it or not, what they're asking for is a tax. What the documents, what the science is being used for is to promote taxes on humans. Let's go a little bit further into this. Probably the, the most solid case, like forget about our, our complications with actually measuring data points and actually trying to figure out what causes climate. You know, I mean, there seems to be a big lag on carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere, which have been really high in the past. They don't correlate directly with warming and cooling periods. There's, there's big, huge gaps in those correlations. And before global warming came around, everyone was worried about global cooling. That's what I was originally saying when I first showed up to marine science. The books that I was given were my professor's books. He was a lot older than me, so his books are from like the 70s. Back then, they were teaching the kids to be scared of global cooling. That was the major problem that we were facing in all of the, the, the scientific different fields. They all connected to that problem. And now it's switched to global warming. Now they changed that name entirely to climate change. And it all just suggests that we're messing with the climate and that we have to do something about it. But the biggest problem, statistically, when you look at the pie chart of the things that are contributing to CO2 in the atmosphere, methane in the atmosphere, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, even though they have a very wobbly correlation to actual climate history, as far as we can tell, based on the data that we do have, and that's, we're talking about ice cores, you know, we're talking about whatever we can say about the past ice ages, we know that from our data, from our understanding, there's a rocky, loose correlation between greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Even having said that, the major sources are not human sources. The major sources are natural. The major sources are volcanoes are, are one of the biggest sources out there. We can't do anything about volcanoes. We're not proposing anything about volcanoes. We're not proposing taxes on volcanoes. We can't stop volcanoes. I hope that point is clear because volcanoes eclipse the entire output by all of humanity by far. We don't even dent the pie graph at all. And this is what uh, the counter consensus is about, basically. And I recommend that book, The Counter Census by Robert M. Carter. But a lot of the, the opposition to climate, the climate realists that I know of, they're questioning these major points. They're saying, what do you mean volcanoes in any given year? regularly give out much more than humanity and then all of the intellectual and political world is talking about taxing us for our tiny slice of the pie there's also lots of complications about oil and lies about oil and it being a fossil fuel which it's clearly not it's just a carbon-based thing so they called it a fossil fuel this is like official there was never proof that it was from decomposition de 
decomposing old organic matter or anything. It, it does not seem to be the case. Geologists that I met seem to be pretty convinced that it's the blood of the earth and that it is renewable. And that the more we look for it, the more we find. That's what the graphs say. It's not uh, the graphs don't show that we have a declining resource base in oil. They show that the more that we look for oil, the more we find. And they even predicted lots of books were predicting this 15 years ago, 10 years ago, still that we were going to hit peak oil and we just never did. And we keep pulling from Saudi Arabia. We keep pulling from Iraq. We keep pulling from Texas. We keep putting air back in. It keeps filling back up. It seems by our math, it hasn't depleted how we expected it to. It's more like a water table. Anyways, another source, cows, just in cows, it's our livestock. That's why we all got to go vegan. That's where this propaganda connects directly in. If you care about the world and our future and our humanity and your children, then you got to go vegan because cows contribute methane. Well, this is nonsensical from the wildlife perspective. Like I'm in, I'm into animals. I'm into conservation and stuff too. I'm into having nature and trees and parks, but I'm also into having animals. And we're not just talking about cows. What about buffalo? What about elk and moose? If a cow is a problem for the methane that it gives off, then what about a, what about a deer or what about an elephant? What about a rhino? I thought we were protecting and encouraging wildlife populations, right? They just have a problem with dom domestic cows. And there's lots of problems with domestic cows and how we treat them. But it's got nothing to do with the methane problem. And by all, by all appearances, to me, we can buffer anything that we do do to the atmosphere and one of the best ways to do that is with trees and there are more trees right now than there were in the medieval times this is what they tell us by our data this goes to the skeptical environmentalist it's an excellent excellent book it's gone through many many copies uh, many reprints many updates bjorn lumberg and that this is one of his key things too like air quality has improved by our data air quality has improved since we've lived in cities after 2020 air quality has improved tremendously uh, lots more trees and wild there's more wildlife parks now in any country you can name than there ever was wildlife parks were not a thing in the past they cut down pretty much every tree in europe and britain you know a lot of that is back america stripped pretty much all of its trees too on its way across the west all that's back you know we have healthy resource bases we, we do have you know lots of things that we still could change. There's lots of minerals building up behind dams that we should probably get back into the ocean as the natural cycle would have been. There's some big things that we could rethink there. Irrigation, perhaps. But uh, the problem is the more time that goes on, a lot of the arguments that they're making 10, 15, 20 years ago about climate change just simply haven't come true, or the opposite has come true. Or people were concerned about certain parts of it, and they did something such as conservation. Conservation is a, a thing that's gained huge, huge support in the last few decades. So that's not a problem because of climate change. And by the way, polar bears and stuff too, like the polar bear populations have rebounded. Ice does melt. And then it, there's ice in other places. And in any case, the polar bears overall seem to be fine. And that, that was one of the first debunking things about Al Gore's thing. This was years ago. It must have been 20 years ago. Al Gore put that out. That uh, it goes to one island, you know, with no, with no ice, and the population that is struggling, the population that is around humans too, they tend to not do the best. Those those ones, but there's plenty of polar bears still.
And anyways, across the world, lots of wildlife populations are doing very well. Some of them are becoming extinct. That's a problem. So what? We're going to deal with these problems one by one. The, the problem here, why I said so what, is because this is all being connected to this climate change thing, which at the end of the day is more about tax than it is about doing anything. Lots of super bad things have actually happened in the name of climate change, not just the waste of billions of dollars, the waste of senates and governments talking about this because it's not their business, because this is not our problem, because we have enacted industry standards to improve our machinery and improve our emissions and all that stuff. And that, that's fine. That's totally fine. But we've also deforested the Amazon largely to grow biofuels. It's not to grow bananas, it's to grow biofuels for American cars, pretty much. You go to an American gas station, it's going to say at least 10% ethanol, usually. That's corn. Massive, massive waste of land, waste of water, chemicals, because we use chemicals to grow this stuff. We use chemicals to transport this stuff. They're tra being transported massive different uh, distances, massive amounts of energy going into the processing it's crazy. This is being done in the name of what I'm calling a fake problem. It's not a real problem. And this is, again, there's lots of real problems. Marine science is a huge problem. It's, all the marine things are a huge problem. There's lots of plastic in the ocean. It's got to get out. We could produce less, not because of climate change, because it's better for our earth. But the, a lot of the earth is woken up to this is what I'm saying. People who are listening are probably like all these things that I mentioned are probably like, yeah, obviously, we all care about that stuff. Now it's very normal for everywhere to have basically plastic recycling available, most places, and for people to take that seriously. And in most cities, you can't just throw something on the ground. You used to be able to. Most cities were dirty and grungy, and you don't just go up and talk to people like that. They'll tell you to screw off. Now you can have some hipster come up to you and say, pick that up. Seriously. And everyone's got their phone on you. They know you're not going to swing at this kid or he'll get a video of that and arrest you and stuff it's crazy this is the future but people have are using their power to clean the world up and to try and do better for the world and a lot of them are being misled by this climate change thing and the problem is that the most passionate people are out there contributing to what is ultimately a tax grab that's the saddest part of this it's being given to governments who i don't think they care about the climate or us that's just that's beyond the point but then it's being done for useless solutions that are not solutions. It's literally we're paying to deforest the Amazon. And we're paying to tax us more and things to cost more for no reason. And people who care about, you know, the kids in Bangladesh making the t-shirts are getting, you know, the, the TV argument confused. And we do enact legislation to help all kinds of things, supposedly, and ends up being a tax for carbon. And this is a tax on our breath. We should encourage life and be proud of life, not tax it, not tax cows and tax buffalo and tax moose and tax human beings for being alive. We can all do better, and I think we're working on that. I don't think that's the problem. I think it was more consciousness about environmentalism than there ever, ever has been. So we've done good on that front, and we just need to stop believing this BS about climate change. I recommend those books, Heaven and Earth. I'm going to produce more content on it. More people need to produce content on it because nobody knows about it. You'll never hear anything going against the mainstream on the Discovery Channel or the History Channel or anything on TV, anything on the news, any politician anywhere in the world, even the ones that supposedly question it. 
I'm into looking at this stuff. I go and look at what Ted Cruz says about it, or I go and look at what the Australian dude says about it, Premier. And they're barely even poking at it, barely even bringing up any points about it. There's no scientists on the mainstream stage ever that I've ever seen. The people that I know that have written books about climate change realism, I mean, they're they're denounced, if anything, if they're ever mentioned, they're denounced as a crazy kook, you know, climate denier, basically just immediately written off, they're never given any time, not that I've ever seen, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it is out there, but... You don't hear the other side of the story. It's just like we say in medicine. You only hear the allopathic view. It's the only one that you've ever seen on TV or a drama made about. It's going to be the same with climate change. Anybody who's out there showing themselves to be woke and caring, whether they're liberal or conservative, they are pressured to say that we must do something about climate change. And it's just not true. It's just not true. By the way, last point on this. This is some kind of heavy conspiracy stuff. But last point before I go. There's lots more that could be said about all this. Obviously, these are long books and these are long arguments and there's lots of really technical stuff that would be good to look at the graph while you're doing it. But the last thing about this is they came out and said in 2019, I believe, that they had been already spraying chemicals in the atmosphere. Chemtrails. They have been doing this. In order to block the sun or to deflect the sun's rays. That's what they said. Now, I don't believe that's why they're doing it. But it could be. It could be because in geoengineering, I know that a lot of people actually took things like that seriously. As a viable solution. Because they're so convinced that carbon dioxide is a problem. Sun's a problem. By the way, another thing too. I know I said last thing. But one solar flare could, you know, supposedly be more of a problem than anything we've ever done. So seems crazy to tax ourselves based on long-term predictions, based on dodgy data from dodgy people in a lot of cases for dodgy reasons when a solar flare can be more of a problem that we can't do anything about. And I don't think chemtrails is going to fix that problem. And like I said, sorry for saying that I was going to stop and then not stopping, but we also did the same sort of thing. It's like similar to the blocking the sun idea. We were going to... um, basically take carbon from the atmosphere by making big, huge plumes of algae out in the ocean. It's called ocean fertilization. And this was banned actually in part because of us. And when you fertilize the ocean with chips of iron or NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, or urea, it gives the raw material for algae to just boom, boom. And if you do this in the open ocean, they don't have anywhere to go. There's not enough predators out there, so these blooms should sink mostly. And this means that they just made their body with the gases in the atmosphere because we're all made a lot of carbon. We need the carbon in the atmosphere to make our bodies. And since there's nothing there to prey on them and they don't live very long, they expire quickly and they begin to sink to the bottom of the ocean. There's major, major carbon reserves down there, big old bubbles down there. That was our idea, that if we have an emergency on Earth, maybe we can create huge, mega, massive tides of algae and red tides are bad, especially when they're at the coastline. There are lots of coastal ecosystems that get disturbed by these things. But if you do this in the open ocean, our idea was that you could basically mitigate a lot of that by trapping the carbon, sinking it to the bottom of the ocean. It's similar and it's a lot less destructive than chemtrails, basically. Chemtrails seemed kind of a crazy idea, but people were talking about it. They were straight up talking about it 10, 15 years ago in books and in back doors and in lectures that I've witnessed. 
They were talking about blanketing the sky to block out the sun to prevent global warming. And obviously the main like engineering argument against that was, well, what if that makes it too cold and we go into an ice age? That seems to be a huge problem, especially from the older geologists and stuff who were all brought up to believe that global cooling was the next biggest problem, considering that we've supposedly spent more time in ice ages than not in ice ages. So that's, we don't want an ice age, apparently. So maybe it's good to be able to control the weather. I already do think we do control the weather. We know that certain heat, we create heat by having cities, basically, number one. Number two, I do believe that we can actually modify the weather, and there are patents for that. China does it. We've been doing it for a long time in, in small ways, but I think we can do it in major ways if we wanted to. I think they already do that, and they don't tell us about it. But that's another story. And I think we could mitigate basic climate problems if we did have a problem. And the solutions are going to be technological solutions that have nothing to do with the current taxes. That's my last and final point on this, that none of the money that's being raised or spent currently or in the past or that's planned to be spent, none of these projects actually address rational, logical, technological solutions to the problem. And that's it, guys. I'll speak more on this on the future, but it's a teaser, I guess. I recommend those books. Heaven and Earth, Ian Plimmer, The Counter Consensus by Robert Carter, um, The Weathermakers Re-Examined by D.W. Allen. And that's it. I'll start there. Oh, and The Skeptical Environmentalist by Bjorn Lumberg, whatever the latest version is. But it's worth, if you can get an old used version from 1998 or something, I would pick that up. It's very, very worth it. Lots of interesting stuff in there. Lots of lies of what they're still saying out there, still saying that, oh, our forests, we have less forests than ever. These are nonsense. These are not statistical facts. These are statistical opposites. Anyways, appreciate you guys. Let me know any other things that you want me to cover on this or expand on it. And until next time, take care.